This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. Now, here are your hosts, John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Welcome to the Inside Out Story Podcast. I'm John Booker, and I'm interested in why we tell stories. And I'm Jeremy Casper, and I'm interested in the how we tell stories. Jeremy, today we're going to be talking about genres. Yes. This, I think, is something that every writer deals with, but not nearly enough conversation goes down when it comes to how do you select the right genre for the story that you're trying to tell. I think a lot of people have their own processes. I think some writers, especially early in their careers, jump around from genre to genre Mm -hmm. as you get more established and, you know, older as a writer, typically you will pick one or two genres and sort of stay with those genres. But um, thoughts, what what is your process in deciding what genres that you are going to work in? Well, I just like you said, John, when I was younger, I, I wrote whatever I felt like writing. Um, but I think it was uh, John Truby who said that, uh, you know, most great writers really only master, like you said, one or two genres. And I think it's really important for writers to pick some genres that they resonate with and to, to stick to those. So for me, my process has been, you know, through life, figuring out the genres that I do resonate with. Um, the genres that are the best platforms to delve into the kinds of themes that I want to delve into because certain genres lend themselves better to the exploration of certain themes. And so, you know, for me, um, I tend to gravitate towards dramas, thrillers, horror. Um, that, That tends to be my wheelhouse. And it's not just because I like those films, it's because those kinds of stories actually give me the, the best platform to talk about the things that I want to talk about. Yeah, I, um, I certainly gravitate towards action adventure, uh, you know, with, with drama being included in that mix. Mm-hmm. For me, genre, you know, has drilled down into um, more specifics. Uh, whenever I go into pitch, I often say, hi, my name is John Booker. My work is about secrets and second chances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those two ideas are really central to the stories that I write about. Secrets, you know, tend to be in the realm of um, uh, dramas, action, adventure. But you certainly could write a, a comedy about a character that has a secret. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's the lens that I choose, you know. Second chances, um, again, it's probably going to be a dramatic type film, you know. That's a story about someone who gets a second chance. However, you could also do a comedy or a horror film, you know, about someone getting a second chance. Um, but for me, that those themes are perhaps more important than me thinking through the genre first. Mm. I always start with theme. What are the themes I'm unpacking? Yeah. And I would say there is a relationship between certain themes and certain genres. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we could get into all those, you know, nuanced differences of what genres work best for certain themes. But like you said, there's really no theme that has a monopoly or the the uh, uh, market cornered, you know, on one particular <laughs> genre. Um, you know, like I said, I, I tend to really love horror. And part of the reason why is because horror is this, this great place where you can, um, you, you can stare 
darkness in the face, mm. you know, and you really can have a character that has to contend with a really strong, powerful um, oppositional force. And even though I've never, you know, faced a, a serial killer sleeping under my bed, <laughs> uh, it just so oftentimes the the antagonists in these stories just serve as great metaphors uh, for some of the internal struggles that I've dealt with in my own life. And um, it, it tends to be, you know, the, the darker kinds of films that actually give me the most cathartic experiences, not just on a primal level, but, you know, on an emotional level. Um, so again, I, I think those kinds of um, themes work really well in, in the horror genre, particularly. Yeah, I, I think we both have come across a number of writers who really have a, a great struggle in trying to nail down their genre. We mm -hmm. both have read scripts uh, where the writer seems to jump from genre to genre. Yeah. Um, we, we've um, certainly both read scripts that uh, seemed unsure of what genre that they were working in. And that's often because uh, there are certain sort of unspoken rules that mm -hmm. surround a genre. And when a writer goes outside of those unspoken rules, we tend to believe that they are then jumping from one genre to the next, or they're not sure what genre that they're working in. And we you know, also have to acknowledge the fact there are some films that are considered genre-bending stories right. that, that transcend genre. Now, if you're being really intentional about that in, in a more advanced screenwriter, I think that's fine. Most of the time when I read that occurring in a script, it's because someone did not intend for that to happen. They just weren't sure what genre yeah. they were working in. Yeah, well, and I think that part of that problem could be that, you know, really most of the films that Hollywood makes these days, they are multiple genre films. Yeah. Um, Hollywood really, for the most part, isn't in the business of making pure genre films anymore. That interesting. Yeah, and I, and I think that, um, you know, we stop and think of it at first glance and we're like, well, yeah, they still make, you know, romance movies and they still make horror films. And it's like, no, they really don't. They make romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. They make, um, you know, horror dramas or, mm -hmm. or horror combined with some other genre. Dramedies. Exactly. But we don't really see Hollywood making the pure romance movie. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason, I mean, the practical reason why is Hollywood's just not interested right now in, in investing a lot of money into a genre that appeals to a very limited market. Yeah. So, you know, their reason for doing it is financial. Um, what we get as a result is actually sometimes some very interesting stories. Yeah. You know, combining genres is, is a really powerful way, um, you know, to, to delve into new forms of storytelling. But I think because we are so exposed to these films that sometimes have elements of three or four genres in them, the inexperienced writer comes along and just is emulating what they're seeing. And they don't understand the rules of each genre well enough to know how to merge them together. So. You know, it's interesting to sort of look back at the history of storytelling a little bit and look at how genre came to be. Uh, we would probably, you know, look to the Greeks uh, to begin any discussion about genre because the Greeks basically were, were the first to divide up storytelling into two different genres. And you had comedy and you had tragedy. Mm -hmm. And most people uh, have seen the two masks, the Greek mm -hmm. masks. You know, one was the, the, the comedic mask and one's the, uh, the, the tragedy mask. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that 
when the Greeks referred to comedy, they weren't referring to the same type stories that we yes. uh, call comedy nowadays. Yes. What they called comedies, we would call dramas. Yeah. So really, the, the Greeks had two different types of stories. They had tragedies, of which, you know, we, we only have a handful of Greek tragedies left. There's only three uh, Greek tragedies that we even have any of their work that remains with us to this day. But we that was, at once upon a time, a great genre that uh, was highly respected in Greece. And so we had these Greek traditions that were telling these great tragedies, uh, you know, of, of, of things not working out uh, for people and the lessons learned through the difficulties of life. And then we had dramas, and the dramas may have comedic elements within them, but for the most part, they're, they're pretty solid dramas. Um, you know, the idea of, of comedy doesn't come along until later in Greece, and they do begin to work in these very um, nuanced ways of presenting comedy through irony, uh, through um, different characters that are, are jester-like characters. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea in uh, Greek storytelling of the trickster figure, mm -hmm. someone who comes in and, and blows up uh, the expectations of everyone or surprises everyone. Um, and so this this idea of the trickster is introduced in um, uh, storytelling. And, and that's where we really start to see comedy in the way that we're more familiar with it develop. But it mm -hmm. all sort of starts with this division between comedies, which are dramas, and tragedies. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, uh, we when we think of genre... You know, we basically, we have, you know, comedy, we have horror, we have romance, we have rom-coms, um, dramas, but really many of the modern theorists that we're both familiar with have taken it even a step further. Guys like Blake Snyder have really taken those uh, set genres and, and developed their own sense of uh, genre out of that. So do we want to give a couple of minutes just to discuss some of yeah, um, yeah, sure. those genres? Yeah, and, and I think it's really important too, you know, John, when you were talking about like the trickster and, and, and some of these, you know, characters that really started to become archetypical characters. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a really, I think when we talk about characters, it's, it's a lot easier for writers to get their heads around the importance of archetypes. Yes. It's like, okay, I understand in the psychology of human beings, I need a mentor character. Yeah. And once I understand that, I can start to, you know, plot this path out. And so once you learn, you know, some, some of the basic, you know, archetypical characters, uh, it really helps you in the writing process because you kind of know how this character serves the story. And I think that what sometimes beginning writers don't realize is that genre works very much the same way. Like genres are, in essence, archetypical stories in terms of the way we use that phrase genre today. You know, so if I'm going to tell a story that's a Western, or I'm going to, one of Blake Snyder's is the genie in the bottle story, which I know that you love, John, mm. or the monster in the house story is another one of Blake Snyder's 10, you know, different types of stories. If I know that's the story I'm telling, just like an archetypical character, I can understand how and, and, and in what ways a story would unfold in this universe, and that can actually be very freeing. Yeah. Like it can actually be a lot more. I think sometimes when we think of limitations, we think of, oh, if I, I've got to work in this genre and I can't get out of it. It's like once you learn the rules, it kind of opens the doors. Well, let's, let's unpack that idea of archetypes just a bit more because I mm -hmm. think a lot of people 
uh, sometimes are, are repulsed by the idea of genre rules or rules within a genre. Um, let's be very clear. There's a difference between stereotypes and archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stereotypes are a result of very uh, binary thinking. We, we say, well, this is the way that, uh, uh, that these people are, and so this person must be like this. And so we stereotype, again, the, even the word stereo is referring to two, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that one must match the other. And so there's, there's a grand difference between stereotypes and archetypes. Archetypes, and we're really presented this idea uh, psychologically from Carl Jung, and the idea of archetypes has to do with certain psychological characteristics that people tend to live into. Yes. There's as many archetypes as there are human beings that have ever existed. Yes. There is, yes. There is not, it's so different than stereotypes where we may say, well, there's a finite number of stereotypes and there's a stereotype of, of say, what uh, the old white male is supposed to mm-hmm. be. And we say, well, that person is is like this old white male, so we we stereotype them. But an archetype may be a psychological perspective that we identify with in some way, and it also may be a psychological perspective that we don't identify with, that may be brand new to us. So it's not about trying to group people into groups when it comes to archetypes. That's stereotyping. Yes. So I think it's a really important distinction to make when we're trying to think about archetypes in terms of genre. Yeah, I, I think you're you're totally right, and I and I I also think you're right that these archetypes are almost like um, little little flagstones of human psychology. Because when I look at a story, whether it's a morality tale or it's a you know a drama or a full blown narrative of, of any kind, you know I tend to look at the story world as just a complete picture of human psychology. Yeah. Um, so oftentimes when I am developing a, a a story and I'm looking at the main character, all the secondary characters in that story really are reflections of the main character in a sense. So that mentor character is not just this total outside entity that's coming in to save the day. You know, I would argue that there's an aspect of that mentor character that is a reflection of the main character. There's an aspect of the sidekick. It's it's almost like all the the parts of us that uh, you know make up the complexity of our human psychology are represented in these different archetypical characters that we see in stories, which I think is one of the reasons why to kind of build a what you were saying too, John, that, you know, there aren't like five basic archetypes and that's it, you know, and we tend to talk about, you know, the basic ones, you know, the mentors and the sidekicks and all these ones we've been mentioning. But what I think a lot of writers don't realize is new archetypes are emerging in stories all the time. All the time. Constantly. Yeah. Um, so there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of these archetypes that are just markers of human psychology, yeah. and and you know to kind of maybe take the conversation where, where you want to go next. This idea of certain archetypes working better in certain genres and that sort of thing. I, it's just a really fun you know world to get into once you start to really grapple with this idea of genre and archetype. It really is, and I, I really like what you've you've said there that. Um, in a sense, archetypes, I think, are a way to look at the present and the future of human psychology. Mm-hmm. It's not so much building on the stereotypes of the past, mm-hmm. because that's where I think people, especially audiences, they rebel against that and they say, oh, I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. There are certain 
principles and story that we rely on time and time again, but they're archetypal principles, not stereotypical principles. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a tough thing to get your mind around, but honestly, if you can, it helps you work within the medium in such a way to always be producing fresh content but content that is universal to audiences, that they they feel like you've shown me something that I, I resonate with and that I feel like I've seen before, but you've shown it to me in a new and different way. Absolutely, yeah. You and I both recently saw uh, the film Get Out yeah. uh, a few months ago, and I feel like this is a great film to bring up when it comes to um, this discussion of, of genre mm-hmm. and, and archetypes, because I feel like that film is very reflective of some current and modern archetypes that we're experiencing right now in society. For example, the film begins with a policeman uh, pulling over a young black man. Now, there is very little that occurs in that scene that is what we might say, explicit racism. Yeah. However, the the character represents an archetype that is very profound in our society right now and that has been the topic of much discussion, and that is a police officer who has issues with a young black man. So it's interesting to see how the writer of that film knows that we as the audience are carrying certain psychological expectations into the film. And just putting those two characters in a scene together, it automatically causes a reaction to us. And the writer doesn't have to overplay their hand by making these explicit racial uh, you know, aspects of the discussion. But the writer can merely present the scene and we bring so much of our own experience to that scene and to these archetypes. I think that is really, really good writing within a genre is playing to the current psychology of the audience and where they're at culturally speaking. Yeah, and I think that this that's a good example of how archetypes writers work in your favor. Yeah. Um, Think about how efficient that scene is, John. You know, the writer didn't have to explain that this is a touchy situation. Yeah. We didn't have to. And if they would have had to have explained that, that would have been five minutes of screen time. Right. You know, so this is where these archetypes and genres really can work in your favor uh, when you find sort of these universal identifiable principles, whether it's in archetypes or within your genres, and allow that to streamline your storytelling. You know, there are certain things when I sit down, John, and watch, you know, a a romantic comedy, for example, there are certain things that I just expect to happen. Yeah. You know, there are certain things, unless unless it's weaving drama into it, if it's just a pure romantic comedy, boy better get girl at the end or girl better get boy at the end. Like that's that's how, you know, I expect that genre unfold. And if it doesn't, I'm, I'm sorely disappointed. Um, but because I go, I go into that story with those kinds of expectations, the writer can actually use that to their advantage. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You, you said a few minutes, uh, (laughs) you said a few minutes ago, um, uh, this, this idea about our expectations when it comes to cross genre stories. Mm -hmm. And I, I just saw a film over the weekend and I won't spoil which one it was, but, I saw a major superhero franchise that featured the death of a beloved character. Mm. And 
What's interesting about that is you typically, because this franchise is known as being a very uh, comedic franchise and action adventure comedy, it's a lot of fun, you would not expect to have the death of a major character in this mm -hmm. story. But they managed to pull it off in such a way that I was just as comfortable crying in the story as I was laughing, as I was sitting on the edge of my seat. Now, I think we've both seen plenty of films <laughs> that tried to make us cry, make us laugh, sit on the edge of our seat, that failed miserably right. at that. So can we talk a little bit about how do you pull yeah. off being able to take the audience on a journey of such different emotional extremes and it still work? Because yeah. that's hard to do. It is. And and John, this is going to seem like an oversimplification uh, when I, I say this, but one of the genres that we see in these um, multi-genre films that Hollywood produces the one genre that you're going to find in 99% of them is actually drama. Mm. So even the um, the funniest comedy that you you encounter, uh, you know, in a, in a Hollywood film, you you don't go to the movie theater to watch the Three Stooges anymore. Yeah. Just you know, just people to slapstick comedy. No, there's a story going on. Um, you know, you look at how much Disney has progressed in their storytelling in Pixar. The reason Pixar films work so well is because every single one of those films have the genre of drama woven into them. So drama is the one genre that if you want to work in Hollywood, you can't get away from. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. And if you have successfully introduced that genre into the stories you're telling, you start to open up the field to do some deeper things, yeah. you know? So I can, by weaving drama into comedy, I can have sad moments. Yeah, I can have a film like Mrs. Doubtfire that's a comedy, but is tragic at the same time, yeah. you know? Um, so again, it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but I do think the reason that we can get away with it is is by the the introduction of the drama genre into literally almost every film that we see in Hollywood these days. You know, in the same vein, I think it's interesting right now that almost every film has comedic moments woven mm -hmm. into it yeah. as well. Um, especially these, you know, action films. We, we can talk about the, the difference between Marvel films and DC films. Um, one of the big critiques of DC films has been that they seem to take themselves so serious. There's very few comedic moments where all of the Marvel superhero <laughs> films uh, have quite a bit of comedy packed into yeah. the dialogue and yeah. they don't take themselves quite so serious. I think it is worth noting that that, in my opinion, is a reflection of our culture right now. Mm. Our culture values humor yeah. more highly than any other culture in the history of humanity. Mm. Uh, go to YouTube and see what the most popular videos are on YouTube. Um, <laughs> it, we esteem people who can make us laugh above all others. That yeah. is just one of the highest values our culture holds. Um, and you and I see this when, when people present scripts to us. Oftentimes, um, more than anything, people want to just make others laugh. Yeah. And that's a wonderful thing. Sure. Uh, but I, I think it's important for writers to understand humor and be able to show restraint in how they use humor 
if they're going to use that cross genre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, John, do you remember back when we were kids? I mean, it was pretty common. It's like five years right. ago. Oh, that's true. Yeah, right. yeah. But it was pretty common for the funniest sitcoms on television to every once in a while have a very special episode of Family Ties, you know? And <laughs> yeah. We had those those episodes yes. where something really tragic happened within the context of a sitcom. Yeah. Those days are gone. Right. We don't see that in sitcoms anymore at all. Um, and, and I think that's just an interesting observation when, you know, talking about how, how much we value an esteemed comedy, you know, today. Um, but I, I think that the problem with this high esteem of comedy is, you know, so many of the films or the scripts that we read, John, I mean, they end up just becoming big inside jokes, yeah, you know, right. and, and these experiences, these comedic things that these characters or these students are trying to write about, they're not filtering it through some sort of universal story language right. that we all can understand. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think balance in that writing process is just so important. And part of that, that language that we all understand yeah. is archetype and genre. Yeah. Well, and Jeremy, it's a common statement in our business What's the hardest genre to, to write? Comedy. Comedy. Yeah. Every, everybody knows that. Everyone says that. Um, comedy is the hardest genre to write because, one, it's culturally uh, uh, difficult to pull off because what's funny in one culture is not necessarily funny in another. Two, humor is very timely. What was funny 10 or 20 years ago, watch old episodes of Saturday Night Live from 10 or 20 years ago. We don't find them nearly as funny today. Mm -hmm. And and third, comedy is all about timing. Mm -hmm. And just because you have funny ideas doesn't necessarily mean you understand how to execute the timing of those in order to make people laugh. So, you know, comedy... um, while it is so highly esteemed, I would also venture to say there's more poorly written, really bad comedy out Absolutely. right now uh, in the world than we've ever had before. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, earlier, John, we were talking about the you know some of the different types of genres, and we were starting to get into Blake Snyder a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the uh, genres that he writes about, or uh, he doesn't call them genres; he calls I forget what he calls them. T- different types of stories. Yeah. Um, is is the genie in the bottle yeah. story, and I know that that's a genre that that resonates pretty strongly with you. Yeah. And so maybe by just looking at that genre, we can talk a little bit about how genres have some different rules. What are some of the rules of the genie in the bottle story? And yeah. And how, so maybe use that as, a, as an example of showing us how genre works. Yeah, absolutely. So for those unfamiliar with a genie in a bottle story, um, it, it's referring to. A, a archetypal story that we've seen throughout the history of, of narrative where someone gets an opportunity to access magic. And that may be Aladdin who comes across a lamp and rubs it and a genie comes out of, of the lamp. It may be um, through you know a, a number of different means, but somehow someone in the ordinary mundane world gets an opportunity to access magic. And the that is often um, the, the catalyst moment or the inciting incident of a story uh, that's in the genie in a bottle genre. From there, we see this character decide to use the magic 
for their own purposes. And they're usually for fairly selfish purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may be to get the opposite sex to be attracted to them. They may be to get money. They may be to do a number of things, but often it's for very selfish means that the magic is being used. Now, that is uh, what a great deal of the second act of these stories consists of, is getting to see our hero uh, use the magic. And and it's fun getting to see people have access to magic. However, at the end of the second act, there's an important decision that the character has to come to, and that is the recognition that magic cannot solve your problems. You can't use magic to solve your problems. So one of the most important moments in these stories that are in this genie in a bottle genre is that the character reject the magic. The character has to decide, I cannot use magic in order to solve my problems. I I must uh, go through my problems uh, straight away. I I have to go headfirst into my problems. I can't use magic. So we see this rejection of the magic. And then depending on the type story we're going to tell, we will either see the character live happily ever after and somehow uh, going straight, straight away through the problem actually ends up solving the problem or the answer comes through some other means. Most commonly, even though the character has acted selfishly throughout the entire story, most commonly, the answer comes through community. Mm-hmm. That someone or some group of people step in and help the character solve the problem. So the theme of Genie in a Bottle stories uh, often encompass this idea that it takes a village in order to make any headway in life. We yeah. need others. Yeah, that's great. And and I think that, you know, th- this genre comes up so much with our students. Like I would say of all the different uh, Blake Snyder story types, this is the one that we tend to reference the most. And I think the reason why is this is such a good example kind of like an archetypical character, that when an audience sits down to watch a movie and some character in their mundane is imbued with magic to solve their problems, whether you like it or not, the audience senses and feels and knows from the very beginning, this is not the right solution. Right, right. And they may not know it consciously, but deep down inside, that's how they feel because the genre (laughs) is explaining that to them. And so we have students who write these types of stories, and then in the end, the magic saves the day, and they don't under and they know their story isn't working, yeah. but they can't quite figure out why. Yeah. And the reason is, is because the genre you have chosen to work in has rules, and the simple fact you're working in that genre, you are telling the audience what kind of story you're going to tell. Yeah. And so that's why it's so important to to don't go in and and make a horror film if you don't understand how the genre works. <laughs> that's right. You know, one of the characteristics of a horror film is you have to in a horror film have a big huge evil. Yeah. I mean, I mean no there's no gray yeah. with this character. They are just pure unadulterated evil. And they are out to, to do one thing, and that is to destroy you, destroy the main character. If you don't understand that or you don't create that kind of a character in a horror film, your film isn't going to work. Right. You know? Right. So it's it's knowing, understanding, and acknowledging, and and for the lack of a better word, exploiting, yeah. you know, these aspects of genre. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like oftentimes people understand the setup of a genre Com- yes, much yeah. more than they understand how to pay off that genre. Very much so. You know. in, in horror, 
um, the payoff is almost always destroying the evil. Yeah, you know, it's it's killing the monsters, destroying the evil. Um, there's very few horror films that don't end with the destruction of pure evil. Now, oftentimes there's a button at the end that lets us know that pure evil right. has found a way to <laughs> rise again. Um, there but, might be a sequel. <laughs> right, exactly. But that's more about marketing and, right. and making a sequel than it is the narrative. Um, in the same vein, the, the genie in a bottle stories, we have to have the hero reject the magic. Yes. It's, it's just necessary. We cannot end that story having the hero uh, succeed with the magic and then just, you know, keep that magic for themselves. And uh, that's just not a theme that our culture resonates with because that's not how life works. Yeah. These themes have to resonate and ring true with the truths we know about life. And that's a big question that you have to ask when you're trying to uh, come up with your third act in any of these genres is, does my ending resonate with the theme that we know to be true about life? Yes. Yeah. And just listening, John, again, to you talk about the genie in the bottle story, I think that's also another good example of just how it's just that there are certain themes that just play out so well in that particular genre. So, you know, your description of it is really about a character who is basically stuck in a rut of kind of selfishly, narcissistically wanting to do life on their own. Yeah. And so the lesson they need to learn in the end is to engage community. Yeah. And when you start to understand more of the psychological complex realities of that genre, you start to see, oh, well, there's some really specific types of characters and problems that would just really unfold well. A character who has to learn how to live in community and come out of isolation. Well, Genie and Bottle Story might be a great place to do that in. Absolutely. And that's, you know, also speaks to the advantage of trying to find what is your thematic arc for mm -hmm. your character before you really settle down into a genre. If we say... This is a story I'm writing about a character who goes from selfishness to givingness. Mm -hmm. um, then we know, okay, that, that sort of gives me a thematic arc I'm working out of. Mm -hmm. If this is a story who goes um, uh, about a character who goes uh, from, from being narcissistic to a character who really looks at the rest of the world and values the rest of the world we again have that sort of thematic base. Ask yourself, is my story a character who goes from blank to blank? And identifying what goes in those blanks, what is going to be the journey of your character, it's gonna tell you a lot about the genre and the rules of that genre that you need to work in. Again, it goes back to those thematic rules we have uh, that we know to be true in life. Absolutely, and and just to add on that to that, John, you know this. I think you're you're totally right. If you're if you're trying to find your genre, figuring out the thematic arc, like yeah. you said, of the main character, what is the internal journey of the main character? So important. Where does my character need to go from and to? You know, in the in the inside story. Um, I think another couple things to to consider that can help people sort of focus in on what genre they're they're trying to tell is 
the opposition, mm. whatever the antagonistic force is, is, is going to play pretty strongly into the, the genre that you're working in. Like I said earlier, horror films tend to have big, huge evils, uh, which is oftentimes true about fantasy and sci-fi. We see that as well. However, in a drama, sometimes the antagonist might have a, uh, they might actually be a more ethical person than the main character. Mm. Uh, so drama is really nuanced. So I think knowing your character's thematic arc figuring out what the antagonist looks like is really important too. And then John, lastly, that question we have our students ask all the time, how far is my character willing to go Mm. in order to accomplish whatever external goal they're trying to accomplish in the story? You'd be amazed at how much the answer to that question, how far is my character willing to go to accomplish their external goal? How much that will help you identify you know, the genre that you're, you're wanting to work in. So is your character just willing to be passive about the pursuit of their goal, or are they willing to murder, you know, to, to, to accomplish their goal? I can tell the same story, and just changing that one question right there can dramatically alter the, the genre that I'm working in. How far are we willing to go to finish this podcast? Well, you've just found out. I'm not going to kill anybody. (laughs) You've just found out. We've come to the end of another episode of the Inside Out Story podcast. We so appreciate you tuning in, and we look forward to bringing you more about the world of stories and storytelling. In the meantime, keep telling stories. This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. For more information on the story, the host of the show, upcoming speaking engagements and seminars, visit our website at theinsideoutstory.com. The Inside Out Story Podcast is a production of Sideshow Media Group.